the vastness of peanut butter. The apparent universe neither arises via nor independently of sentient beings. The apparent aspect of sentient beings arises with that of the universe and the universe becomes apparent concurrently. Way you way, 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 open secret. The Taoist philosopher, way, way's words are a fancy way of saying that since nothing exists in the way of space and time, all that we see arises at the second we see it. The seer and the seeing are part of the same moment, the same ex experience of seeing. If you think about this too much, it will drive you crazy. But there's something important here for how we understand the world around us. So this morning there was a, a public radio there was an, an, a few astronomers talking about this new thing that's up there, a new telescope. And she, she was saying that the sun is, takes, it takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to come to earth. And so if the sun went out, we wouldn't know it for eight minutes. Okay. That's not very long. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense does that contradict what what it says here the seer and the scene are part of the same moment the same experience of seeing i wouldn't say it contradicts it because it, it's it's uh speaking on a perspective from what we see and not what's actually happening okay i'll buy it my universe in this second consists of me, you, the traffic, the rug, the green leaves. All that is part of the apparent universe, which is my universe. For you, it's these words in front of you and whatever else you see and experience. The idea that there is a universe that existed five minutes ago or that <laughs> will exist in five minutes is just that, an idea in your head. There is only arising, just arising, that's all. Arising has no time, no space, but here it is. The third patriarch of Zen, Jane Zai, Jane Zai Sinkan, said at the end of, the, of that long and beautiful poem that we read once in a while, Faith and Mind and Xin Shen Ming, the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. The apparent universe, and, it, and it's just an arising. We'll get back to that. I guess we're not really seeing the sun. What we're seeing is the rays of the sun that are finally hitting us after eight minutes. Of, you know, we think we're seeing the sun. Okay, am I next? No, Gail's next. Oh, Gail. Was Gail smiling? <laughs> She's just so glad to be back with us. I am. I am. And you you always tickle me, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where you are, but. Mm -hmm. I'm, okay. I'm in Austin. I got okay. to okay. today. All Not right. eight minutes away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I didn't exist until just a second ago when I appeared. (laughs) (laughs) Zen teacher Maureen Stewart said, Zazen washes away all conceptual thought and makes the mind clear and fresh. The Zazen mind is the kind of mind that develops from sitting. Practice isn't about playing with these ideas in your head. It's making it real for yourself. If the universe is just arising with no space and time, it means that everything that is arising is of equal importance. It means all these things are equally arising. The pain in your leg, the cockroach that's invaded your house, the job you want or just lost. When something's arising, we want to glom onto it, have thoughts about it and make it solid and real. It's not solid or real. It's just arising. The person you hate is just arising. It isn't that there's you and him and the cockroach and the pain in your leg. There's just what Zen master Dogen calls whole being. It's not that we're all pieces of whole being. There's just whole being arising. Don't think about it too much. (laughs) (laughs) Our job in practice is to experience this arising. It doesn't work to think about it abstractly. We don't experience the person we hate abstractly. We think of it as Harriet sitting right over there. What (laughs) or who was it today that you didn't think of as equal to yourself? Was it the cockroach? The phone call you got as opposed to the phone call you wanted, your lover, your child, what at any given moment (coughs) do you feel is not equal to yourself? From morning to night, we judge a thousand things a thousand times. If we didn't, we wouldn't mess up things, neglect things, put them out of place, favor one situation or person over another, lose our temper or have fancy ideas of being a victim. If we experience it all, if we experience it as all just arising with no time or space, we wouldn't be able to do that. Life and death, receiving and giving on the same. There's no space, so we're identical. Succeeding, failing, these are words and thoughts projected on something that is without thought. To see everything arising isn't at all. It's just here we are. And the only thing that interrupts the unity is thinking. If I really believe that stuff about Harriet, she's not just arising for me. She's an impediment sitting over there. Something I've got to get rid of. Do you see what I mean? And so I've gone about I gone from arising which has no space or time, to a very fixed notion about something. And since we don't do that with just one person or thing, but with many people and things, we create lives that cause us difficulty. It stops me cold when I realize what I do all day long. There are all sorts of things I neglect or misplace. It takes a lifetime of practice to see that there's nothing that's not equal to yourself. You're just arising. 
even in the realization of this basic equality, we still have priorities. We have things we want to accomplish. Some things get put aside, but the attitude with which we do that changes. We aren't sloppy when we're really appreciating what goes on. Basically, our attention is always slipping from what's arising and going back to our notion of ourselves. The core belief is our frantic attempt to get life solidified, controlled, and fixed in some way over long periods of time so that we won't get hurt or so we won't so we think we won't get hurt. That's a way of dying. It takes our attention off, off of the life that arises that is arising in this very second. And we're all dying in that way a little bit. Practice is to begin to live again. A little slippage. Wait, I want to ask something about this. Okay. So uh, there was kind of a Zen photographer, uh, Wynn Bullock, and he insisted that photographs weren't instants, but they were events that took place in time, you know, like a 30th of a second or a 60th of a second. Hmm. And he photographed um, the ocean. Actually, he wasn't far from where Nancy is in her picture in Monterey. And he photographed the ocean coming onto the rocks. And every time the water would splash under the rocks, he'd open up the, well, he used a film holder in front of it. It was a view camera. So in front of the lens, and then he'd move it away and move it back and move it. And um, so he, he photographed this arising, this thing that took place in time. It was very interesting. And he, he kept, he, uh, I guess he was a visiting artist someplace I was at. And he kept talking about this idea that these are events, even photographs are events. They're not instants, you know, the instant. Hmm. He was trying to talk against that idea of the, the instant photograph. These are events that happen in time. But is so, this a, go on. So do you think we view we view things as events? Because I and I asked that because I on the drive, you know, to Florida and back, like <clears throat> it's probably about what eleven hundred miles, both I mean both ways. Round, yeah, both ways. And um yeah. and the long stretches, like six hour stretches, seven hour stretches, you know, I'm 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 sitting here and just watching the road just pass by in these moments, you know, and I'm trying to focus on the moment so I can, I guess, get rid of the thought of like, oh, that's one mile down, that's another mile down, you know, just, just because I have like 300 more miles to go or 400 more miles to go. So this is a photograph that I used um, on Wednesday night. And I, th I think it's so beautiful because I, I well, we didn't talk about this aspect of it. I, but how it's an event happening. I mean, you usually think of a landscape as kind of a fixed static thing, but the birds are swimming, the, the haze is moving, you know, everything is moving and changing. It's more apparent here than in some landscapes. The light mm -hmm. is, you know, you can imagine that the light would change it yeah, the five light minutes later. So I will uh, stop this. Okay. Okay. A little slippage. 
My eldest son is an athlete. He's in great shape. And when he visits, he always looks me over to see how I'm doing. <laughs> Often he says, hmm, you're, you have a little slippage there. <laughs> I can just imagine my son saying that to me. It would go over that well. <laughs> okay. You have, uh, you have a little slippage there. I love that term, a little slippage. We human beings are all about a little slippage. When we are not aware of this universe that, we, that we're living in, we slip in all sorts of weird ways. We can always see our slippage. For instance, if you lose your temper, if you have emotions that boil over unattended to, that's slippage. We all have <clears throat> in our life some degree of inattention. Depending on our particular core belief, it will take one form or another. It may take the form of disorganization. It may take the form of overorganization. It may take the form of being sloppy or being excessively neat. If you're excessively neat, what is it that you haven't paid attention to? That's harder than the opposite. Have you ever been in a house where you're kind of afraid to move because you might disturb something? To be excessive in one thing is to ignore something else. I'm not sure of that, but I'm thinking of the little mess I have, I have next to my bed. I've been so busy and as the stuff just piles up, I say, oh, I'll read it later. I'll just put it down there. Then there's this little pile that grows and grows. Every time I put something in that pile, my mind is phrasing on. It, is, <coughs> it isn't there. We can notice a lot of things. I can notice the pile next to my bed. I can also notice that I don't want to do anything about that pile. I'm tired. That's noticing. The more you notice, the more you become aware of your core belief and how it influences you to have a rigid, fixed way of living so that you will be protected. When we don't pay attention, <coughs> we do thoughtless <coughs> things that hurt other people, <coughs> excuse me, and ourselves. <coughs> Any form of unkindness is also a lack of attention. If I'm truly looking at you, if you have my full attention, it's pretty hard to be unkind. I can only be unkind to you when I don't really see you. My mind is caught by my core belief and it's one point agenda of defending itself. I'm too focused on this sense of self to see you. All unkindness is inattention, a lack of understanding. There's just the moment, this arising, 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 arising. That's all there is. There isn't the fact that it arose five minutes ago. That's non-existent. It's included in your thoughts, but as a fact, it doesn't exist. You're, what, what, yes. wait, what does she mean by that? It doesn't exist. It's You're gone. Right. Oh, because the, I see the past doesn't exist. Okay. Hey, that's this whole... Um, idea that 
everything's just arising and with in no time and no space that's just fascinating to me but when you look at your experience without i i'm living in my story of what's arising in the instant not in the instant mm-hmm. i'm living in the story i'm putting it in context with a past and a future and a you know and um i think that's what she's pointing to that's what you know most of us are conditioned to do um so i mean it's just really fascinating to me that there is no time or space it only appears perceptually the way our senses are and our brain is recording things and then saying oh that happened 5 minutes ago you know as if it was still happening as if it was still existing but it doesn't exist i mean the whole thing is just it's so woo 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 way you know i just i love it and i really like the idea that it's hard to be unkind when you have give something your full attention cuz I thought for a second there I was thinking no wait a minute if I'm having an argument with you you've got my attention but I you don't have my attention I'm in a story about what you're saying and what it means right but, yeah you know it, it it's uh, I'm not right really right there it's it's really cool I don't know if that had anything to do with anything we were talking about but there it, it so did <laughs> yeah okay Fear is inattention. Often people tell me, I'm so afraid. Fear is running my life. I've got this awful thought. It sounds terrible. How many of you sit around worrying what's going to happen next? Fear is inattention. I don't mean that that in a judgmental way. Suppose your dear friend is ill in the hospital. Of course, go see him, bring a present. But suppose it's Saturday and you can't see him until Tuesday and you're worried about him. The best thing you can do for him, for you, is to pay attention. Hmm. Read on. I want to hear what this is all about. (laughs) Pay attention to your own life. Focus on your thoughts and label them. Focus on your body sensations and feel them. Do what you are doing. Fear is just thoughts plus physical bodily body sensations. Mm. Fear is getting caught, particularly in the thoughts. Your friend is sick in the hospital. This is very difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. You don't serve your friend by just escalating into upset and fear. What's going to happen? Isn't Isn't it awful? When you do that for a couple of days, you're worn out. You're of no use to your friend when you go to visit. But if you can spend the time paying attention before you see your friend, you're building your ability to be with him and to be with the pain. If you are stuck in fear, you can't pay attention. And paying attention is the best thing you can bring to a situation. Nothing but the whole. Well, I've just been thinking too about um, the relationship of fear and anger and anger is an expression of fear and then someone told me recently about it that's why dogs bark is because they're afraid mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to that's being angry you you need to be scared of the dog that don't bark 
<laughs> that doesn't bark, huh? Because they'll just attack. <laughs> oh, that's a good saying. I like that. Yeah. And some of the serial, the uh, shooters in the schools and so forth are described by their neighbors as, as you know, being very calm and collected. Mm. Not, not being overtly angry people. Like the dog that doesn't bark, huh? Yeah. And then they explode. Nothing but the whole. Emptiness here, emptiness there, but the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. Jianji Sengan, the third patriarch of Zen. We're not part of some larger whole. There's no us, no fixed self. There is nothing but the whole. Because there's nothing but the whole, there's a lot of space for appreciation. I don't appreciate you because I'm such a good person that I've learned to appreciate. I appreciate you <laughs> because there is no you separate from the whole being. Everything arises together. Buddha nature is whole being. Does that mean it exists or doesn't exist? Both would be thoughts in your mind. You can't get too far with words. You get farther with attention to this very moment's experience. When we come back to attention, we face with on our emotions, our fears, on the things that don't go well in our life, and on that we hope we go well, as Maureen Stewart. Marine, Mar it's Marine. Marine, as Marine Stewart said, you have your own Zazen mind. Just listen to it. Listen to it. Receive it and let in. If you don't, you suffer. If you do, you suffer less. It's a nice change. <laughs> we often view Zen practice as the way, this way of understanding the nature of reality. And we think if we could just understand the big picture, we wouldn't have so many little problems. But the big picture is just a thought. The true question is, how do we transform this in this moment? To experience the whole requires paying attention to your core belief, your strategies to the little episodes in your life, to what you taste and what you are neglecting. Believing intellectually in emptiness is an error, but believing in some other thing in some other things is a catastrophe in terms of practice. I remember being at a Zen center once for a long practice period. We were all eating breakfast outside in the fog. It was very early morning and it was cold. I felt a bit blurry, a bit yucky. And then all of a sudden, there was this roar from the teacher. How can you even think of enlightenment when you don't see that your neighbor wants the peanut butter? It was fun. I don't have much interest in people who, who have seen the vastness if they can't pass the peanut butter. Oh, so that's how she ties it in. <laughs> we going on? Yeah, I'm just thinking of this student who asked me, we were talking about all kinds of things that you can imagine 
in my class and they said, well, how do I open my camera to load the film? That was kind of like- <laughs> first, first things first, huh? Yeah, that was kind of like the peanut, the peanut Well, yeah, butter. because, because um, everything else is just your idea or story about whatever you're experiencing or thinking, it's not, you know- and You must I have that. really been suffering, waiting, waiting for this information <laughs> that's so critical. <laughs> You know, how do I turn on the car? Yeah, I remember when I first got a computer, that was the question. Yeah. Yeah. Where how do I turn it on? <laughs> My mother insisted on reading the whole book. You know, computers oh, yeah. used to come with a book and she wouldn't turn it on until she had read the whole book. Wow. <laughs> That's probably how I would do it. I bet mine didn't come with a book, though. <laughs> Apple built this huge printing plant. And by the time they were finished with the building, books ended. And there was nothing to print. Oh, oh Wait, it, it could have been Apple and it could have been Microsoft. Now I don't remember, but it was built. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's true, though, about the whole peanut butter thing. I don't know. I have to confess, there's so many times when I'm with people or if anybody, family, relationship, and I'm not there. I'm definitely thinking about what I'm going to say next or, you know, what we're going to do next or, you know. And then, you know, the Zen practice that we have, um, I kind of feel a little abashed when suddenly I noticed somebody didn't have the peanut butter. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, <laughs> like all this Zen training and I'm still, you know, often, you know, some some future instant. Or yeah, well, I'm always, I'm forgetting where I parked and I always forget when I leave off, off of Mata if I lock the door. <laughs> right. Um, and I always, you know, I'm, most of the time I go back and check it. Today I said to myself, I I know I locked it. I know I locked it. Yeah. I hope you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the key to that for me now is that when I'm lost like that and I don't remember where I parked the car is not to get too wild and crazy and start internally judging myself or cursing or, you know, whatever. Um, I know I'm in, in a good practice place when I just say, oh, look at that. I forgot where I'm parked. You know, and then and then and then go go from there. You know, but um, I have to admit, um, that makes me, this isn't that? A, this isn't a Zen story, but it makes me remember when I took my two little boys uh, to the rodeo in Houston. Houston rodeo is a really big thing, and uh, and the parking lot is enormous and. I could not remember where we parked the car. I mean, it was so huge. I just couldn't find the car. And we were all wearing cowboy boots, which we didn't ordinarily wear. <laughs> we were walking around that damn parking lot. So we, we were in a long time and our feet hurt. And my kids and I were all crying a little bit. We're trying to be brave. But <laughs> we were in Green Bay, Wisconsin at the college uh, for a conference. And they had six parking lots, like right around where we were. And there was a blizzard and it was night and we couldn't find our car. Oh my gosh, I bet you were crying. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We all have 
horror stories. I mean, I was in Disneyland. I yeah. was in the Disneyland parking lot. Couldn't remember if I was in the princess lot or the, you know, goofy lot. And we wandered, I kid you not, for like, just like you, Ellen, we wandered around for about 45 minutes. Horrible. <laughs> With a baby after dark holding oh, my grandmother. A baby, you had a baby? <laughs> We're all looking at one another going, why didn't one of us remember where the car was? <laughs> you know why? Because we were so excited to be at Disneyland. That's right. And we were thinking about what we were going to see next. <laughs> the, us too, we're probably excited to be at the rodeo. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Wow. Actually, yeah, that. The thing that you forget uh, where you park, I think is still kept acceptable when since you the you you're not really hurting anyone, right? But what I'm thinking of the story I I shared before is like the group of students are uh, presenting compassion, um, for their project, uh, for um like an assignment, and they walk through people who are in suffering asking for help on the road when they go to the the room to present about compassion oh no <laughs> ignore those people on the street oh gosh. yeah it's sort of like oh don't bother me i'm on my way to my compassion class <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you need a dollar i don't have a dollar excuse me i'm going to compassion class <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's funny, but it's not funny because I think there's an aspect of it that we can all, you know, kind of relate. Kind of well, relate. even rushing to the Zendo to sit. Yeah. yeah. I know Ellen and I have talked about that years ago when we used to do that. When we used to rush to the Zendo to sit. <laughs> yeah, then you get mad at people who are in your way. You're not moving fast yeah. enough because you're late. <laughs> right. Oh. We're funny, aren't we? We are. Okay, getting wet. <laughs> oh, Who's turn? I think it's Gail. Oh gosh, I lost. I I got so excited that I kind of lost my uh, place. It's one seventy one. Oh, I got it. I got it. It's at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Getting wet, both as a teacher and as a practitioner. What has always interested me is the tension between our false life and our true life. Our false life, the substitute life we're living as a consolation prize, springs from our core belief. Our true life is just meeting life in an open, responsive way. Our true life is what we really want, yet we're always at war between these lives. What makes it possible to turn from one life to another? What is it that slowly brings us into our true lives? Uh, if you've ever been on the beach, you probably have this experience of walking along the shore, just walking along, perhaps talking to a friend, and suddenly you're wet. The tide is coming in, and all of a sudden there's one wave that comes further. For a while, there may be just one, or two waves, then another wave comes in even a little further. When we want, what we want in practice is for the tide to come in as much as possible. <laughs> Looking over a lot of years of life, I can say that for me, the tide never comes in fully. In fact, it might even go out a little bit. 
as long as I think that something else or somebody else is responsible for my life, then it's their fault. By any ordinary standards, it may be their fault. I may have every reason to think that, but as long as <coughs> I feel that way, the tide never comes in. I don't quite get that. I don't get her image. Cody, you've been explaining things so well. What's the deal? Uh, I'm just going to say uh, that what she mean by letting it come in, just letting the moment just fully take over, I, I guess. Uh, it's, that one's, that one's kind of hard to hard to explain but but she also says that as long as i think that something or someone else something else or someone somebody else is responsible for my life then it's their fault by any standards it may be their fault and and so yeah yeah, so she's saying as, as as long as she feels that way, the tide will never come in. I think is it like um, we will not learn the lesson that life tried to teach us if we think that someone else is responsible for it? Okay, victim or perpetrator? Victim or perpetrator, suppose someone cheated me and look on my hard-earned savings and took on my hard-earned savings, I may then think of myself as a victim in the ordinary sense of the word, but I'm not a victim in the practice sense of the word. These are two different worlds, and you never see the second world as long as you believe in the first world. I don't know any way for that tide to shift except for a person to begin to understand that if you believe yourself to be a victim, the tide will never come in. She's ready. This shift is so hard to enact because the whole message of the core belief concerns the difficult, imperfect self that I think I am and the constant maneuvers. Maneuvers. Maneuvers and the constant maneuvers I need to keep making so I can deal with the pain of that core belief pain. You know, it she seems to me that this tide is um, that we're not letting come in is actually the facing of this core belief that's keeping our stories intact because if we didn't have a story or a core belief, then there'd be no way really to feel you could predict the future or control anything. Do you know? I think we're actually afraid of living completely, you know, with no defense against the moment. Um, I mean, just, you know, what you just read, Nancy, it just, that's what it was making me me think you know and if i can blame other people then i don't really have to really look at what i'm really believing you know uh about myself which keeps myself my 
ego itself intact right in the center and you know the one that's made you know like she said before it's this sense of self that that we construct so that we can feel safe you know in a in a world that you really well there's just no telling what's going to happen <laughs> in any given moment you know we're kind of afraid of that i, I, I agree with i agree with you uh gail because i think i think it's a lot easier to pass the blame off to someone and somebody else versus holding yourself accountable in uh in certain respects well pretty much in all respects All right, I'll go ahead and read. Uh, practice can help shake our beliefs. I mean, sh yeah, shake our beliefs and our victimization. Perhaps we now buy into 50% of our belief in our victimhood instead of 90%. Part of the role of a teacher is to accelerate that process a little bit. It's unpleasant, but it has to be done. Even so, some of us are very determined and we'll hold on anyway at least for a little while. What it is that leads you to suspect that there has to be another way of seeing things. For many of us, it's that the substitute life doesn't work for us anymore. We try really hard to make it work and we may even be succeeding within the, with the external form of having, having it work, but underneath there's just inescapable terror. Some of us, so oh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, so it's, it's, it sounds like she's saying, you know, uh, you know, that it's just hard to uh, step out of your comfort zone and live versus, uh, you know, doing it the easy way and, and, and playing, playing it the safe route all your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the safe route causes a lot of suffering, but it's, at least it's familiar. You know, you know, we, we feel like, oh, that's me. I'm the one that always gets the raw end of the deal with this guy, you know. You think we wouldn't want to hang on to that, but yeah, you know, yeah. we do. How does that apply to today? Is there any safe route? What do you mean? Uh, with the pandemic, with the uh, politics the way it is. Yeah, that's all stories. It's just a billion stories. If you really get, you know, uh, caught up in it, you know, um, I, it, it, it's not that it's not that these things aren't don't seem to be occurring. It's just when you fasten on to them, you know, and bring your perspective of what should or shouldn't be happening, and uh, you know, that's when things really you really start to suffer. There's, so, uh, you know, very little job stability like there used to be. And also because technology changes so much, whatever you were trained for no longer is relevant. Yeah. It's a yeah, more difficult, a, it's more difficult, isn't it? Well, if, if you add the story to it, it is. But if you just say, oh, I don't have a job in this instant, you know, with no story attached to it then maybe you just, you know, get up and go look for another job without, you know, suffering so much over, you know, the fact that you got, you know, 
booted out or, you know, whatever. It's our stories that cause the suffering. It's not that things aren't happening. It's, it's the way we attach, I think, for me, it's, it, it's my victimization about it all or my wanting to find somebody to blame, you know, for the thing. And that just, you know, isn't that, isn't that Kim like the second arrow, right? <laughs> that's, that's all the second arrow thing. Um, I'm, and, I'm and, and that's a good point because, you know, just for example, you lose your job. If you're feeling sorry for yourself, you know, telling yourself you're a victim, then it, it basically is lessens your chances of going out and get another job versus you just saying, well, I lost my job. I'm going to go out here and apply for new jobs. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, to, um, I, um, I heard Byron Katie, um, somebody once asked her, they said, uh, well, what if you lost your job? What if you had no job? I don't know who yeah. that is. Yeah, who's that person? Oh, who is she's, that? A, she's a, a spiritual teacher who had a big, huge event. And she has something called the work. It's the four questions um, where you really have to examine your, your stories. And the interesting thing is usually if you examine it really hard, you realize nothing that you're thinking is true. I mean, well, that's the bottom line. But she had a big, um, you know, a huge big awakening event and uh, kind of lost her whole sense of who she was. And then she was left with this entirely different perception of everything we're talking about is basically, she was kind of, you know, she, she was realized. And when somebody asked her once, well, wouldn't you be upset if you lost your job? And she said, well, here I am. I just lost my job. I'm sitting on the curb, you know, looking out at the cars going by and I see a piece of trash next to my <laughs> in the street. So what's my job? I think I'll reach over and pick up that piece of trash and put it in the trash can. So that's where she's living from this constant um, present momentness, not, you know, about what happened to her. Uh, it, it, she, she's a pretty interesting character. She's pretty, she's so interesting that she's hard to understand because her perception is so different than, you know, 99.9% .9 of us, you know, but yeah. But that's to your point, Cody. <laughs> Julie, talking about the picking um, the trash thing, remind me of a story. I'm not sure if this is a real story or not, but, um, uh, there's a, a man who um, just got an interview for a job and got like they're about to turn him down on um, like cup rejected him. But then when he walked out of the building, he saw he saw a trash uh, and then he picked it up and then the, the director uh, saw that kind of like the principal of the company saw that action. So they changed their mind and decided to hire him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't have a job, just sweep the floor. <laughs> the There's always something to do, yeah. Right. <laughs> that was her point. <laughs> yeah. Whose turn is it to read? Is it mine? Who just read? Cody just read. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, read. then it is mine. Okay. 
Some of us, instead of thinking of ourselves as the victim, make other people the victim. As long as we're caught in a core belief, we're in a dualistic life. There's me and there's the rest of the world. The view doesn't give us much choice. We have to either repel the world in some way or placate it. We're either a victim or a perpetrator, always doing one or the other. We really think we really think for a long time that one of these two ways of life is going to work for us. And they do work, sort of, but they don't work really. Perhaps our pleasing of others is going along really well, and we're getting a lot of rewards out of that, whether it's financial, personal, or whatever. Perhaps we get exactly what we thought we wanted. But when that has happened, it usually feels just about as bad as when something falls apart. It's all right to suffer. It may be your suffering that finally turns you to your true life. You get tired of suffering. Or, as in my case, you see you're making other people suffer. We may think practice is about our own suffering, but when we don't do our practice, other people suffer. That's a very powerful motivation. You see your own pain, and then you also see the pain you're causing others. When you have had enough of this, your turning to your true self begins. And once it begins, the process will keep accelerating. These are very painful times. A lot of pain arises that you've spent a lifetime trying not to feel. I think we should stop here. I do too. <laughs> I think that's a good... Uh, good ending. Good ending. And now we'll write for 10 minutes. Yes. And next year we will continue. <laughs> next year. See y'all next year. I'm going to go to bed. Good night. Happy holiday. Thank you, you too, all of you. All right. So um, let me. So now we'll write for 10 minutes. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> How are you writing? I just had a lot of questions. One question <laughs> after the other. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so could you like to share first, Gil? Well, you know, I went back to one thing that struck me when we were reading. Um, when it was like nothing but the hole and Joko Beck said, I don't hear anyone. Oh, you can't hear Kim. Can you hear now? Now I do. Okay. No, I was just saying, I was kind of reflecting, uh, you know, that, that question that you've often heard people say, like, who am I without my story? And then I started thinking about victim and perpetrator and how really she's saying that we're either in one role or the other either we're to blame for something or we're the victim of something and someone else is to blame. Um, 
I, I wrote a little bit. I wrote a little bit about that. But I was really struck by the sentence: "We're not part of some larger whole. We're not a part of some larger whole. There is no us, no fixed self. There is nothing but the whole." So the suffering lies in thinking that we're a little part. You know that we're not the whole thing, and the core belief I was writing. You know, the glue seems to be to think that I'm a separate part. Some of the ways that that's glued together is the whole idea that there's a me that's a victim or a me that's a perpetrator. You know, and I thought that was um, that was pretty interesting because there's always a me who gets or doesn't get what she wants or is doing something to someone or is having it done to her. Do you know, it's this, it's this me, it's this me. And I love when Joe Gobert, or actually it came from the quote um, by Jean-Zi, what's his name? Sengan, third patriarch. Emptiness here, emptiness there, but the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. So it's not that there's nothing, it's that everything is the nothing <laughs> and nothing is the everything. There's no pieces. It's all one. It's empty and yet it's the peanut butter. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of mind blowing because I want to say that I'm on the outside looking at the peanut butter or looking at the emptiness, but there's no such, there's no such person doing that. It might've been last week. It was something last week, maybe Nancy remembers, but that when we breathe, it's the whole universe breathing. Did we read that here with Joko Beck, Nancy, last week? <coughs> Nancy, Nancy. I'm not, uh, I heard that one, but I'm not sure if it's the Joko Beck. Um, oh, you remember that from last week somewhere? Yes. Somewhere. <laughs> well, I, I wrote a little bit about uh, you, the story that Gail told. Oh, here, I've got to. Uh... Sorry. So that's the woman picking up trash and putting it in the trash can. Uh -oh. Does she look a little homeless? Right. <laughs> so no sooner had she lost her job, she saw some trash in the street. Now she had a new job picking up trash. No victimhood <laughs> here. No suffering here. Allowing the tide to come in gives us the starfish to save. What more purpose could one wish for? A little ingenuity goes a long way. Yeah, I like that, Kim, because there was in that story, there's no victim and there's no perpetrator. There's just what's happening, you know, beingness. And um, I was also reflecting on the fact that when I have an argument with somebody, I notice that I think that I'm being victimized by, you know, whatever it is they're saying you know, and we're arguing about that somehow it's unfair to me. And, and then I'll come back with my 
defensive you know posture what i have to say back and then they feel that i'm the perpetrator so i'm either i'm either dishing it out or i'm thinking that they're giving you know giving it to me you know what i mean it, it's like each one of us feels like we're the victim in, and neither in wants to have you noticed just how often nobody wants to apologize because they don't think they were wrong right <laughs> yeah or if they do, they do it as a lie or begrudgingly, you know, apology. They don't really it's, take it to heart. Yeah. What if you what if you were both? What if you were all of it? What if you were victim and perpetrator? You know, I mean, really, you do that kind of takes the wind out of the whole thing. You know, <laughs> you can't land <laughs> on being right, you know, or even being, you know, horribly wrong interesting so yeah where would we what would i be where would any of us be without our story of, of me that's pretty scary to think about i don't have any idea what that would be like gail you probably heard peg say this but the first time she talked with joko beck she told the story about being a mother and wondering if she was a good enough mother and things like that and joko beck said well that's your story yeah that's just a story she told her <laughs> <laughs> and and I could I was laughing about that because I could see myself in that situation feeling very virtuous like this is my main issue in life is that my I really want to be a great mother you know this is who I am this wonder you know somebody who cares about being a good mother and you know and yet having your teacher come back and going well that's just a story <laughs> you know <laughs> I that's what I loved about that story is um um even if we think our story is a really wonderful story, it's still just a story. <laughs> so do you all know about the intensive that's coming up that Peg and Flint are going to lead? Yes. Are they just both going to be in Austin? Neither, neither is going to be in Austin. Oh, they're online too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to do that. I really, I really do. I'm um, I came back to California from California by myself, and then I'm going back again in about a few weeks. Um, my husband is still there, so I don't know where I'm going to be, but I want to be somewhere where I could do the intensive. I think I would really. Oh, good, good. I, Cody, I, can you do it? Uh, when is it? The 14th through the 16th. It's Thursday, late afternoon, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I I could. I, keep my options open it's, it's possible and nancy can we do part time i don't think i can take off like that many days right oh. especially i'm about to defend <laughs> at that time yeah are you working nancy You're working. no i'm uh yes actually i'm working on my dissertation oh yeah so and i'm a little bit behind the schedule <laughs> So try to make it up right now. Mm. So it's all day, Kim? Is it going to be like- um, Eight to five, like eight to five. Because they're trying to keep it so that people from Europe can go. So it's not gonna be in the evening. I miss retreats. You know, this whole pandemic, 
I was used to going to a couple of silent retreats every year and it has been a couple of years and um, I'd like to blame it on the fact, you know, that I don't go to these silent retreats that I seem to be more um, irritated and more <laughs> inclined, you know, to get caught up in my story. Um, but that's just a story too. I don't know. Actually, so does it mean that it's a story that I think I may not finish if I attend on four days? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't see how you do anything but but your dissertation. If if I was doing it, that's all I'd be able to do. I, I think I, it's amazing how much time you spend with us. Yeah, Julie, this helped me a lot, you know, like when I got stuck with uh, a lot of stuff from the dissertation, like being here with, um, with you helped me to like, how can I say, like clear my mind. Oh, that's and, great. Yes. Yeah, that's what retreat does, actually. It's, um, you know, once Peg said, um, I said, nobody in my family understands why I want to go away for retreat or do retreat. They don't get it. They don't understand it. You know, if I were to say I was going away for a spa weekend, you know, they go, oh, how nice you're going to get, you know, but, you know, what do you do? You just sit there and you stare at the wall and you meditate and they didn't didn't get it. And she said to, what she used to tell people was that, oh, it's just a way that makes me more able, you know, to kind of, um, you know, handle life and, and be calm and relaxed and, you know, uh, peaceful, you know, afterwards. You know, in other words, she wasn't, she wasn't going into some great spiritual explanation. She was just basically saying, oh, I'm a, kind of a better person when I do it, you know, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, no one can complain about that. Yeah, Julie, they don't understand like the the time that I try to do the five, um the ten day um retreat vipassana. Kim, I just got the job as SMU um for summer. It's summer job, and I told them <laughs> upfront that I will take up ten days, <laughs> and then. <laughs> My family said, what are you doing? It's not easy to get that job. And now <laughs> you just got it. And then you asked for <laughs> taking off. Said, no, but this really, actually, it's really hard for me to register for uh, the 10 day retreat, you know. So that's why no, this is more important than that job. <laughs> yeah. What I love about that, Nancy, is that you know what's important to you. I, I think that's one thing that every single one of us, that's the only thing that we can do for ourselves is decide how important this is, you know, and because in my own experience, I've, I had a lot of people who didn't understand, but so it wasn't easy, but I knew it was important, right? Yeah. It's important in that it's not important in the sense of, uh, I mean, we kind of ruin it thinking it's important. I think it, of it more as like setting an intention and also having a, um, uh, 
how can I say it? Like something woke up in me, something wakes up. And this seems to be the way it wants to move, you know, and it's honoring that instead of, you know, trying to push it down, you know, um, that's all. So it's important in that sense and that, you know, it is. You know, it's and also, okay. I think it's not like you're not doing this to choose the other one. It's like, I'm not choosing between either. I'm just, I'm taking both. It's just, I need to take off sometimes. It's not really like, yeah. oh, I, yeah. So it's, I think it's not like, it's not the same thing as like pick and choose. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good point to me. Um, you know, at the beginning, I used to think maybe I'd have to, um, leave my life and go off to, you know, India or, you know, join an ashram or something like that. But that's not the case. It's, it's not separate. Right. Yeah. And Julie, I just got um, some reminder about like, um, we have been working so hard while we actually need to change it in a way that we need to work smarter, not harder. Because if we take break, we always are afraid to taking too much break because they, we will, we may not produce much. But in fact, the breaks help us to more productive. See, so you're gonna do the retreat, right? No. <laughs> yeah, we we had a student who was a really good student at the community college, and then they went to Washington University, and on their first exam, they got a C. And she had never gotten less than an A before. And she went to see the teacher as an uh, archaeology teacher. And he said, I don't think you've been studying in the right way. And I think that that goes along with what Nancy's saying. I just love that comment that he made. And so anyway. Yeah. Cody, you want to share something? We have four minutes left. Oh, I was uh, <clears throat> thinking about like kind of what Gail wrote about. Uh, I read, uh, not read, but I listened to a lecture by Alan Watts where he basically said that uh, the universe as a whole is like a tree or uh, apple tree <clears throat> and the fruits are all one, you know, so like humans, for example, the universe is, is the tree and the humans are the fruit, but is they're not separate from the universe. It's all one. And so that I guess uh, where I was going was about the the wholeness. I was you know just kind of wondering if that's what she she meant by it. Yeah, I kind of think that that's that's kind of the right direction for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because you're right, because, you know, for the tree to produce fruit, I mean, the fruit, or even like the for the tree to exist, everything else has to exist for the tree to exist, to, for the fruit to exist. It's all one thing, you know. Right. Yeah. And even the bees. I was reading about bees yesterday. The bees. We need the bees. Okay, gang. Yeah. We are unconnected. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, happy oh, holidays. Oh, right, yeah. right. We're not meeting next week. So this is it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, so is it January that we come back? or what? January 3rd, yes. January 3rd. I, I think that's, yes, the 3rd. Okay. Wow, so well, everybody enjoy yourselves. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>